Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. One of my favorite authors as it relates to leadership is a man by the name of Patrick Lencioni. He's written a number of leadership fables that have impacted really uh, the last 20 years of organizational leadership thinking. Uh, If you lead a group, you might have read one of his books in the past, uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, a famous book that he wrote, The Three Signs of a Miserable Job. Uh, Another interesting read, Uh, Silos, Politics, and Turf Wars, another interesting book. But uh, maybe one of my favorite books that he's written, and it's got a a really provocative title, is called Death by Meeting. And uh, if you are a part of a team, maybe at your office that has a regular staff meeting, you might be chuckling right now because you can relate to a title like death by meeting. If you're a part of any kind of organization that gathers regularly, you, you might chuckle because there's something about that title that resonates with you. Meetings have a reputation for taking life, not giving it, right? Uh, now, this poses a unique problem for the church because churches love meetings. Uh, we do. I mean, think about this. Uh, churches have lots of meetings, If you're involved in leadership at a church, you go to meetings to plan your meetings. Uh, If you're a pastor in a church, you get invited to conferences, which are meetings at other people's churches, to learn how to better plan your meetings so that you can lead your meetings. Um, I mean, just think about it in terms of, of all of you who are here, you're invited to literally hundreds of meetings at Wildwood this year. We, we have large meetings like happen at 9.30 and 10.50 on Sunday morning. We call them worship services. We have 52 of them every year. Uh, We have smaller group meetings, and the smaller group meetings that we have on Sunday mornings take place uh, downstairs, and we call them fellowship groups or topical studies or student ministry meetings. Uh, If those meetings take place on a night during the week, we call them a community group. If you're involved in a, in a ministry and serving, you're, you're invited to equipping times, but there's lots of meetings. I mean, no doubt there are hundreds of meetings that you would be invited to at the church, and, and given meetings' glowing reputation, uh, that poses a little bit of a problem for us, doesn't it? But one thing that I'm convinced of, and that is this, not every meeting takes life. There are some meetings, there are some gatherings of people that actually give life to us. And I believe as we gather here on Sunday mornings, as we gather in homes throughout the week, those are not the take life from us kinds of meetings, those are the give life to us kinds of meetings. And this morning, I I hope uh, you'll see as we look at God's Word together why. And so we're going to look at uh, the book of Hebrews today in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, as we see a little bit about what it looks like to connect in community, to kick off community. We're going to look at that today from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. If you've got a Bible, open up there. These are familiar verses for many, but we're going to unpack them a little bit today. I'm going to begin by reading Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 to us, and then We'll go back and and look at it a little more in depth. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says this. It says, let us consider 
how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In those two verses, we see some things about community, some things that are important for you and I to know today. We're going to see two things from these verses today. The first thing we're going to see is this. We need to resist the temptation to stay home. We need to resist the temptation to stay home. We see this in verse 25. Look at how verse 25 mentions it. It says, we're to not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. In other words, by the time the book of Hebrews was written, there were already Christians who were neglecting meeting together. There were already some Christians who were choosing to stay home instead of gathering together. Now, we don't know if they were supposed to be gathering in in worship services or in in home small group type settings, but there were some circumstances going on in the first century that were causing some believers to begin to neglect the gathering together with other Christians. Well, what might have contributed to some of these first Christians staying home? Well, I think one thing is given to us in the context in verses 32 through 34 of chapter 10, and that was the persecution that the early church was facing. Look at what it says in verse 32. It says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, in other words, after you came into a relationship with Christ, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. In other words, some of these first Christians maybe were deciding to stay home and not gather together in small group, not gather together in worship because of the persecution that they were facing. Maybe they were thinking if we stayed home, the persecution wouldn't be quite as intense we stayed home, the people would not come and take our possessions from our houses. They wouldn't plunder our houses as we gathered in Jesus' name because we were Christians. As they, they would think, maybe I wouldn't go to prison like my fellow Christians if we just chose to stay home and not gather together. It's possible that some of the first Christians chose to neglect meeting together. They chose to stay home because of the persecution that they were suffering. It's also possible, though, that some of them were choosing to stay home because they had been a Christian for quite a while. Uh, The book of Hebrews, most biblical scholars would date somewhere in the mid-60s A.D. Jesus was resurrected and ascended to heaven about 30 A.D. That means that there had been as many as 30 years, 35 years of Christians living on this earth. There have been 35 years for people to be a part of a small group. There have been 35 years for people to be a part of a gathering of Christians to worship. There have been 35 years of people to gather together and read the letters of Paul and the gospels that have been written and handed down. There have been 35 years to hear testimonies. That's a lot of years. 50 Sundays in a year, 35 years. I'm not good with math. That's a lot of different meetings. 35 years of of small groups meeting, we know from the book of Acts, even day by day in homes. That's a lot of meetings. It's possible that as time wore on, some of these first Christians were saying, you know what, the more time goes on, the less important it is for me to meet together with other Christians. 
And yet, the writer of the book of Hebrews says just the opposite. He says, we need to encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. In other words, we don't need to meet less the more time goes on. We need to meet all the more as time rolls on. Because there's something life-giving about gathering together with other believers. There's something necessary, even for people who have been in the faith a long time, about gathering together regularly around the truths of God. Those were some of the reality of the first century, but the, the question now transitions to us. Why are we tempted to stay home? Why are we tempted to, to, to not show up on Sunday morning? This is one of the ultimate uh, preaching to the choir moments. You're like, hey, we're here, pastor. Give us a break. Um, but you're here today. You, you've probably not been here at a different time. You've probably not been here uh, for a season of your life. Maybe you had trusted Christ at an early age. You attended church for a while, but then you kind of fell out of practice for a little while. Maybe you were a part of a small group at one season of your life, but now there just doesn't seem to be room for it any longer. Um, even in a room like this, there's relevancy in this passage, if, if not for us, certainly for people that we know. Why are we tempted to stay home? Well, a number of things. I, I think persecution is at play for us, just as it was for the first century. Now, persecution in, in, in our time in America looks a little different, but certainly there are people today uh, who are under some persecution even in our country. I think many times this plays out in family dynamics. Maybe there's, you're a high school student and you've come to faith in Christ and your parents don't necessarily fully embrace that decision. They don't back where you're headed. And so maybe you're tempted to stay home because you can keep the peace at home a little more. Maybe that is you now. Maybe it was you a few years ago. But that's one reason why people are tempted to stay home. Maybe your extended family is not on board with your newfound faith in Christ, and when your extended family comes and stays with you for the weekend, you don't want to go because you don't want to cause the tension or the disruption that your public expression of faith might, might lead to. Maybe there's some persecution that is a temptation for us to stay home. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's longevity, as it was for some in the first century. Maybe the longevity of our relationship with God is something that, that tempts us to stay home. Now, there are many in this room who have trusted Christ years and years and years ago. You've come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. As a matter of fact, when I said Hebrews 10 and community, your Bible just fell open to that spot. You just so frequently have been around. You're like, oh yeah, pastor, I don't even have any room to write notes in my Bible anymore on that passage. It's been talked about so much in relation to community. And you know what? After time, if you've been around uh, the church for a while, you can begin to think it's not as important for me to go anymore because I've heard it all. Maybe longevity is a reason why you're tempted to stay home. Maybe it's busyness. Our lives are busy, aren't they? I don't know of anybody that's just got tons of spare time on their hands. If you do, I'd love to talk about what that's like. Uh, there are so many options for us to invest our time. There are so many things going on. Uh, sometimes we, we, we stay away from a worship service or from a small group gathering just because our schedules are so busy. Um, maybe it's because there's something that's happening at the same time. You know, we, we have activities on Sundays or, or things going on, or there, there's so many, you've got something happening during the meeting time of a small group that you want to be a part of. Sometimes uh, we're busy that way. Other times it's just 
we're busy with so many other things and so many different pieces and parts of our life that we just don't feel like we have the time or the margin to do anything else and we want to stay home and sleep in on Sundays or not participate in any kind of intentional community because we just feel so busy. Maybe it's not those things. Maybe we're tempted to stay home because we have somehow become numb to the spiritual high around us. Sometimes people get attracted to Christian community, become attracted to worship services because it just kind of makes them feel better. And the first time you come to church and the first time uh, we sing a great song like we sang earlier, the first time we sing Oceans, your heart beats a little faster. You get a little excited. You stand up. You, you raise your hands. But you know what? The seventh time you've sung that song this year, it's like, well, I've already sung that song. And it's not as exciting this time as the seventh time ago. The first time you, you heard somebody open up the Word of God and teach it, you thought, man, that's amazing. I've never, I've never done that before, but you've been to church a while. You're like, yeah, you know, it, it just isn't doing it for me anymore. The pastor's illustrations are repetitive, um, whatever it might be. You know, we become numb to the spiritual high. If we're, we're here to seek an experience, and that's all we're here to seek, at times we look for other things. We're tempted to stay home because we're not, it's not making us feel as good as it once did. Sometimes it's relational struggles. You know what happens when you're in one church for a long time? You have some conflict with people. Uh, one of the things that, that happens for me, I, I've been here uh, 14 years now on staff, almost 14 years. One of the great blessings and benefits of being on staff in one place for that long is I look around this room and I, I have ex shared experience with so many of you and it, it warms my heart to see you and it's exciting to spend this time together. That's, that's wonderful. But you know what one of the difficult things about being here for that long is? When I look around this room, I, I see other faces that I've let down, I've disappointed. They've seen my sin. They, they've, there, there's been conflict in the past. There, there may be conflict brewing around at times and and. I'm tempted to stay home, right, because there's some relational conflict that's out there. One of the reasons why we're tempted to stay home. Sometimes we're tempted to stay home because we're a little short-sighted. We're a little short-sighted. Sometimes we forget the cumulative impact of investing our lives in things. You go to church one week, you don't go the next, and your life doesn't feel all that different. There's no felt impact by missing one week. There's no felt impact by skipping tonight's small group meeting because missing one thing just doesn't have that big of impact. It's kind of like working out. Make a plan to work out in January. In the first week of January, you work out all four days. You show up early at the health club and you lift weights and you run and you've got a great plan for four or five days, but the next week rolls around and you, you, miss, a, you miss a day. And you know what happens? Nothing. And that's the problem. You don't, you don't feel any different. You don't feel any stronger after one workout. You don't feel any weaker after you miss one workout. But the cumulative effect of those things can have a big impact on your physical fitness. The cumulative impact of, of neglecting meeting together as believers has a, has a cumulative impact on our lives. And yet we miss it sometimes because we're so short-sighted. Sometimes it's those things. Sometimes it's sin. If you're living in active rebellion against God, you know the last place you want to be? Around other Christians that might convict you. You're tempted to stay home because of that. Sometimes we're tempted to stay home just because of pride. We feel like, you know what, I've already got it all figured out. Ultimately, 
my spiritual life is about me and Jesus, and I'm just going just gonna to lean in and do all that myself. I don't need these other people. I don't need these services. I don't need these messages. I don't need these small groups and Bible study. I don't need others praying for me because it's just up to me, and I can handle it. Because of these reasons, and maybe you could add four or five more, we're tempted to stay home. And yet, the author of the book of Hebrews, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, tells us that we are not to neglect gathering together because there is a life-giving element when we gather together in Jesus' name. And we need to remember that. You know, I've known some people that have succumbed to one of those temptations, and over an extended period of time, they've decided, you know what, I, I... I love Jesus, I, I hate the church, I love Jesus, I don't like my church, and I'm going to just go off and do my own thing. And you know what? That story never ends well. It just doesn't. Why is that? Because that's not how God created us. God didn't create us to live our Christian lives alone. He created us to live our Christian lives together. Therefore, we're not to neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And you know what? Whether you've been a Christian for one minute or for 50 years, all the more this is our need as the day draws near. Now, the first thing we see is that we need to resist the temptation to stay home. But the second thing is really significant too. God wants us not just to resist the temptation to stay home, but He wants us to shake one another forward and free. He wants us to shake one another forward and free. Now, that may sound a little cryptic, and hopefully it'll make some sense by the time we're done talking about it today, but God wants to use you in my life. He wants to use me in your life to shake us forward and free. Now, in order to really understand this, we really need to look at the greater context of Hebrews chapter 10. In the first nine chapters of the book of Hebrews, uh, the author unfolds a lot of the greatness of what God has provided for us in Christ. Like many of the letters of the New Testament, there's a long theological section followed by the application section. And after nine chapters of how great Jesus is and how much better than the old covenant system this new relationship we have in Christ is, after nine chapters of that, he begins to draw some conclusions. And in chapter 10, in the immediate context of verse 24 and 25 that we're looking at today, the author draws three summary applications for the Christian in light of how great Jesus is. What are those three applications? The first one is found in verse 22 when he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is what we saw last week as we see the greatness of God. We are cleansed in Christ. Our sin is taken care of that we might be able to draw near to God. One of the great summary applications of the Christian life is that we have the privilege of drawing near to God and worshiping Him. Second big category, big application, verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. One of the other big applications for the Christian is we're to hold on to the truth that God has given to us. We are to grasp this confession of faith that is found for us in the the living Word of Jesus and in the written Word of the Scriptures. We are to hold fast this confession and to to pass it on to the next generation. 
we're to do that. And the, the third thing, though, the third kind of summary application is found in our section we're looking at today in verse 24. And he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The third big application, I think it's important to see that context because these are all essentials to the Christian life. Drawing near to God through the work of Christ is an essential. It's not a secondary issue. It's a primary issue in our spiritual lives. Holding fast the truth that God has given us in Scripture is not a secondary issue. It's a primary issue in the spiritual life. And considering how to spur one another on in our Christian lives as a part of community is not a secondary issue. It's a primary issue in the Christian life. And that's why the author of the book of Hebrews mentions it here in that company when he says that we are to consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Now, what does that mean? That, that phrase, stirring up one another, is, is a great little phrase. It can be translated another way, to, to irritate. We are called to, to gather together to irritate one another. And you're like, amen. I've been a part of a church for a long time. That's exactly what we're gathered. No. It's not meaning that in a negative way. What he means by that What the author of the book of Hebrews means is that we are to to gather together in order to to spur one another forward. We're to gather together to shake one another forward and free. I think a a, a picture of that would would be the picture of making your bed. Uh, Most of us have had that privilege in life of making your bed, and when you, you put the sheets on there, the sheets are all wrinkled. You could have uh, something stuck in the middle. If you're a parent, that's that something is an action figure or, or a Lego or whatever. It's in the middle of the bed, and, and you, you get all the sheets. And if you wanted to shake whatever is in the middle of that bed loose to shake it free, what do you do? You grab the edges of that sheet, and you pull it tight. And when you pull it tight, the, the, the sheet goes taut, and it, it moves that particle, whatever it is. It moves it forward. It, it sets it free. Something that was otherwise stuck becomes unstuck because external force was placed upon it. And I think in the same way, what the author of the book of Hebrews is telling us is that we have a responsibility to one another to shake each other forward and free because we have a tendency to get stuck. We have a tendency to get stuck. Now, what do I mean by that? What does it mean for us to get stuck? Well, this room is, is full of folks. We, we talked about this earlier about trusting God in, in areas beyond our borders. No doubt in a, in a room like this, there are, are, are dozens of issues, hundreds of issues that you brought in this room with you, things where you're experiencing struggle right now, places where it's, it's difficult to trust God. Sometimes it's medical, sometimes it's relational, sometimes it's spiritual, Sometimes it's, it's disappointment, a, a, an unmet set of expectations, whatever it is. You've experienced some difficult things, and those difficult things have a tendency to make you stuck. Uh, I'm not immune to that. It's not as though when you step up on this stage that suddenly you no longer are dealing with things. There, there's things going on in our lives too. And when I look back and think back over even the last few months, this summer has been full of some difficult things that God has entrusted to our family. And what happens when we experience these difficulties is, is sometimes we begin to isolate. 
me paint a picture for you. You ever have something that you're going through that is so difficult, so stressful, so painful, it just, it's, it's, it's captured your mind. And everybody else in your house goes to bed, but you can't sleep. And so you retreat from the bed to the couch where the only company you have is a Bowflex infomercial. Has that ever happened for any of you? And when you get to that spot where your, your only company is that infomercial on TV, your mind gets stuck and it starts saying things that are only partly true. You start convincing yourself of all kinds of things. And the, the, the outcome of the things that you're convincing yourself of are, are never good. They're always bad. It's worst case. Your mind starts telling you things like, you know what, God doesn't really care about you right now. God doesn't really love you. You ever get stuck on some thoughts like that? You know, God obviously loves them more than he loves me because their life looks a whole lot easier than mine. You ever think that? You ever get stuck on a thought like that? You ever get, get stuck and just feel like, you know what, I'm just doomed forever in this terrible situation and circumstance, and there's no joy, there's no hope. Three in the morning, Bowflex infomercial, those are the things you tell yourself. You know why I know those things? Not just because I have friends that have told me that they've also had moments like that, but because even in the last few months, I've had some moments like that myself. Moments where I've gotten stuck. And in those moments where I've gotten stuck, you know what I desperately needed? Not a Cosby Show marathon on TV land, though that would have been nice. Uh, what I needed is I needed the voice of another Christian to come into my life and to shake me forward and free because I was stuck. And I'll give you an example of this. You know, I mentioned there were several things this summer. One of the things that God has entrusted to our family this summer, one of the hardships that we've been going through um, relates to uh, an issue concerning adoption. And some in this room know parts of this story, but I want to share a little bit of history just so it makes a little bit of sense to you. Uh, but I'll take you back to, to 2009, 2010. My wife and I have a wonderful son. He's seven and a half years old, but um, after he was born, we uh, came to the reality that we weren't going to be able to have any more biological children. And so for us to, to have a larger family, there, we would either have one child or, or we would look at it into adoption and those things, and we began to look into that. In 2010, we were fairly far along in a process of adoption internationally, um, and we were going to turn in that paperwork on a Wednesday. We were going to mail it off. Um, that would be our last step that would lead to a match. And at that moment, uh, on Monday before that Wednesday, uh, my wife's air pipe collapsed. And um, we went down a different path in 2010. We had to pull out of the adoption um, process, and we had to deal with that. Fast forward a little bit into the end of 2011, and, and we had decided to, to give another go of it, and we started down the path of a domestic adoption, and, and we met with a birth mother in Tulsa on a uh, Tuesday, and uh, we were excited about the prospects of that. On Wednesday morning, we find out that we're going to need to have a kidney transplant, and the process stops again. Well, this last year, we had decided to give it one more shot. And so we had reinitiated a process with a uh, local adoption, a domestic adoption, met with a birth mother in the spring of this year who had chosen us 
to be the, the parents for her child. Um, that child was born into our arms in May, and uh, we, we held her in the hospital and cared for her for two days, and then the mother um, decided that she wanted to keep the child, and, and we, we gave her back. And, and you know, here, here's the thing. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this just in, in, in as part of that story. Um, we support her in that decision, and we're praying for her, and many of you have been a part of that process and praying for her, and that's a, that's a wonderful thing. But you know what? Even though as wonderful as that is to be able to stand alongside and to, to, with this mother that we're helping, it's still hard, right? It's a hardship. They call it hardship for a reason. It's not easy. It's not an easy ship. It's a hardship. Keeps you up late at night. Gets you stuck. One of the things that God has taught us through that process is uh, that one of the things he's taught me specifically is that I haven't always dealt with that well. I'd love to tell you that 2010 was full of me leading my family well through that difficulty. I'd love to tell you that 2010 was, was full of, of me trusting God and, and, and communicating that with my friends and community around, around me, but uh, that wouldn't be true. As a matter of fact, I feel like I dealt with it very poorly in 2010. Uh, because of that, Kimberly and I were stuck created tension in our relationship. It created difficulty that we had to deal with for a few years after that. I take responsibility for that. I just trying to deal with it alone. 2011 comes around and we, we experienced some of those things. I feel like it was a little better, but we still were largely focused on health issues and concerns at that time. But one of the things that's happened this last summer as we've gone through this, which circumstantially this was the most difficult, the most painful of the bunch, one of the things that God taught us through the last few summers is that if we didn't want to be stuck, we needed to, to go through this not alone but together with others. And so we leaned into our community around us at that time. We leaned into our community group and, and uh, the, the men and women that we gather with on Sunday evenings, a small group, we, we leaned into them. They, they prayed with us. They met with us. They spoke truth into us. Other friends of mine that, 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 that packed into that snowball and were able to encourage. I still remember coming back from the hospital on a Monday and um, eating lunch with some friends on, on that Tuesday and just sitting across the table at Sweet Basil, uh, which is a great place to go, by the way. Um, but sitting across the table at Sweet Basil, just them offering some hope and some encouragement as I shared my heart. What they were doing in that moment and what they've done since then is they've, they've grabbed the edges of the sheet and they've snapped it tight. And they've said, don't be stuck here. I'm going to shake you forward. I'm going to shake you forward. Alone, the conversation in my head is always negative. That conversation needs to be interrupted. It's interrupted in community. I don't know if you've got people in your life like that. I'm so thankful that we do. This is what's fascinating. You know, in 2010, believe it or not, I attended church every Sunday in 2010. I stood up here some of those Sundays. Um, just attending isn't the trick, right? 2010, I was even a part of a small group. We, we gathered together with, with other people at that time in that season. And they were good people. But it was my unwillingness to really open up about some of that pain and some of that struggle that kept me from being shaken forward and free. 
And I just would encourage you to, to ask, ask yourself the question, do I have community like that? And am I willing to trust them with the things that happen outside the borders? Am I willing to, to share life with them in such a way that they can shake me forward and free when I get stuck? Do you have community in your life like that? You know, some of that community happens informally. You have friends. They're not a part of a group that you're a part of. They're just friends. You go way back. You talk about the Scripture together. You may have coffee together on a regular basis, whatever. That is fantastic. But if you're looking for those kinds of relationships and you're looking for that kind of community, that's what group launch is all about. It's about helping place you in a context where you can share life with one another to help prevent you from getting stuck this year. We need that support. It's the way God created us to live. I mean, sometimes we, we struggle with this. We, we struggle with this feeling because we feel like we ought to be further along. We ought to be able to handle it ourselves. Guys, we're the worst at this. And yet God invites us to, to partner and join together in community and share these loads. And if you're looking for that kind of community, I would encourage you to fill this out if you haven't already done so. And, and to pass it down to the middle of the aisle. Um, in just a moment, we're going to wrap up. We're going to sing a song. As we do that, the ushers are going to walk down the middle aisle, and they're going to grab these that have been filled out. This will just help us to know that you're coming so we can plan accordingly. But this is an, an important thing. I'm going to encourage you to, to consider. And if you haven't already done so and you would like to attend, go ahead and take this moment to fill this out. I'm going to be there. I'd love to, love to see you there that night. But while you're doing that, and, and as we get ready to sing our closing song, I want to just share with you one final thought regarding this. Um, as people who live on this planet, we move a lot, don't we? How many of you have moved before, physically moved from one place to the other? Uh, most hands are going up. Some of you are very stable people. I'm impressed. You've lived your whole life in one room. Um, the rest of us, we've moved. When you move... You take a survey of your possessions. Some of those possessions you sell because you don't want them anymore, and others of those possessions you're going to take from point A to point B. When you take survey of those possessions that you're going to take with you from point A to point B, you realize probably that you're going to need some friends to help you move them. That's not because you're not man enough. That's not because whatever. It's because no human being was ever designed to move a sleeper sofa by themselves, Okay. Uh, you need to have friends to help you make those moves. It, it, it's not a sign of your failure as a human. You just, you just need that. And as, guys, we, we get used to that. We, we ask for that help when we move. We, we offer, you know, pizza. Apparently that is the, the price that it takes to move a sleeper sofa is pizza. That's what we do when we move. Um, here's the thing, folks. Uh, our lives are full of sleeper sofas things that we were never intended to move alone, but things that can be moved when we join together. When we talk about community, we're talking not about a death-by-meeting experience. We're talking about life-giving, sleeper, sofa-moving, partnership with one another to shake us forward and to shake us free. Let me pray. Father, I just uh, thank you so much for the privilege of walking through life uh, 
with this group of people. Father, thank you that um, we go through trials and struggles in life not alone but together, and that's by design. You've intended for us to, to share these burdens. And so, Father, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would not see community as just another activity, another meeting that takes life from us. But, Father, I pray that we would lean into it. We would see the life that you give through it as we, as we share the burdens that you've given us and as we shake one another forward and free. Father, thank you for the, the context of relationships here. These are some of the best people I've ever known, Father. Thank you that you allow us to trust you the God who is higher than all. It's in Jesus' name we pray.